You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Shoes to dance in to match the dress, and they'd always bring me my shoes from the dyers, and they'd still be wet. And I'd have to dance in shoes that were not dried. And then you know how a shoe does, it begins to, to shrink up. Legendary actress, dancer, Ginger Rogers, today on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Ginger Rogers is no doubt one of those Hollywood figures who transcends mere stardom and who has become a true cultural icon. Back in the 1930s, she and dance partner Fred Astaire dominated Hollywood filmmaking. Now, her talent was apparent from a very early age. At age 14, she won a Charleston dance contest, and that propelled her into a career in vaudeville. That was followed by Broadway, and that led to Hollywood. And then in the 1930s, RKO Pictures paired her with Astaire. And the rest is, as they say, history. Ginger Rogers was a huge box office draw for many, many more years to come. Finally, in 1991, at age 80, Ginger Rogers wrote her autobiography. And that's when I met her. Wheelchair-bound and looking a bit frail, Ginger Rogers nevertheless melted my heart. So here now, from 1991, Ginger Rogers. It took me 11 years to write it. I was just going to say, why did you write this book? to refute all the things that have been said in opposition to the truth. And so many people have misunderstood my mother, and I loved her so much, and I couldn't let them do that to her. She was such a wonderful woman, and so I decided I'd straighten the, the story out this way. What kinds of things have people said that have most irritated you? Well, they said that my mother was a, a gypsy, you know, story gypsy, and that she would shake her finger in front of head of MGM and say, you have to have my daughter in that picture, and you have to pay her so much money, and you'll do it now. You see you will, because I'm telling you, you have to. She didn't do that. She was just the most wonderful, loving Mild matter, but they loved us. She had such personality, this lady, that they were resentful of her, I think. From the way you described her, she doesn't sound pushy the way they've described she her. She wasn't a bit pushy. She wasn't gypsy. <laughs> she sounds like she was one who would stand up for her rights, for your rights. That for, is for right. For what was best. That's true. And that's why I put this together. I'm sure there have always also been a number of stories false to to one degree or another about you and Fred Astaire. Oh, yes. Do you know that Fred got on a program with uh, Dick Cavett, and Dick asked him if, if there wasn't always a misunderstanding between the two of us. And he stood there and he refuted it like he would an unhuman law, an inhuman law. And he just banged the table and said, no, that's not true. And... They still didn't believe there was nothing but nothing, or no arguments between us. The only one argument I've written about is in my book. We had about a feathered dress. That's the only thing. He just didn't like the dress, period. <laughs> he said, You could see the feathers on my suit. 
and he started plucking, plucking imaginary things off his suit, which, if you see it, you'll never see a feather on him. Well, as you said in the book, he could wear white tie and tails. He could, he could almost pick something off the rack. You had to have that specially designed dress each time, designed to dance in as well as look good. That's right. And shoes to dance in to match the dress. And they'd always bring me my shoes from the dyers, and they'd still be wet. <laughs> and I'd have to dance in shoes that were not dried. And there, you know how a shoe does? It begins to, to shrink up. And so my shoe is one is 16th tighter than it was before. And even that much is too much. There was another story that you told in the book, a very moving story, about the time that your shoe was wet with something else, namely your own blood, that you had had danced your feet raw. That's right. And they wanted to stop, and you kept going. Yeah, well, I wanted, I wanted to help them get the whole thing off. The, they said they needed the set for tomorrow. They had a big show coming in. And they said, we have to wash out this set and put up a new, you know, new things up here for this other company that's coming in. So I tried to be accommodating, so I just, I just bled for them. <laughs> yeah. Last night I went to the video store because I wanted to rent a Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers movie to watch while I was finishing the book before you came in today. And by chance... The one that they had was the movie that you said in your book is your favorite, Swing Time. Yeah. That's a wonderful movie. I thought so. I thought it was a great movie. Right, left, right, left, right. Miss Carol, I'm sorry about your quarter, but you see, Penny... If you're trying to annoy me, you certainly are succeeding. I know you don't care anything about learning to dance. Oh, but I do. All the world loves a dancer, don't you? Right. Why did you like that one better than the other? Because it gave me some, something to do instead of dance. I loved dancing, but I didn't like to have the others. I was more or less the dancer. And in this one, I had some amusing things to do, like breaking a glass that was going down the street. The man, You remember the mm -hmm. man who had this big piece of glass he was taking to <laughs> somebody's window? And uh, I saw it. And I took a policeman's stick out of his hand and I threw it at this glass and busted it. Because I was supposed to be under hypnosis in that scene. Fred had hypnotized me, so-called. <laughs> I have a daughter age 11 and a daughter age 9. And they, Wonderful. They, uh, <laughs> they started to giggle at the, the scene behind the door when, the, when, uh, when you and Fred went behind the door. Yes. And the door closes then again, and, and he's got the lipstick all over his mouth. They, they, they laughed at the silliness of that, and then they laughed harder when I told them how you said in the book that, he, that, that, didn't, that lipstick wasn't yours. No, it wasn't. Why wouldn't he let you kiss him? Well, he didn't kiss me. He... Because his wife was always on the set. And they had a kind of an understanding between them that he should never be a Romeo in any film. He should only just be an actor. And I don't know firsthand. I've never heard their discussions. But the result was that he insisted that he never do a real kiss, kiss, kiss scene with me. After this short break, Ginger Rogers reveals the truth about the most famous quote about her. Now back to my 1991 interview with Ginger Rogers. 
did you ever imagine all of this when you when you first when you first entered the 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 Charleston contest you first go on tour in Texas did you ever envision that it would all come to this that that, that you that you would someday be a legend in American entertainment <laughs> never 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 and I had known some really wonderful people who have been legends too like Jack Benny and George Burns, a few others whose names don't come quickly to thought. Uh, but I just think it's wonderful that they say a legend in your own mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I interview lots of famous people, but very, very few legends. In fact, I think the last one was Mickey Rooney. Did you ever make, you didn't make a movie with Mickey never. Rooney? I never worked at MGM. I worked at RKO, which was some 15 miles away. But, of course, if you're in Hollywood, everyone assumes that not only do you know everyone, but you've made a movie with everyone and that you go to parties with everyone. That's right, and that you know who the prop man is by name and his family, but I don't. And they all, they just assume. <laughs> you know what they say about assuming, don't you? <laughs> you cleared up, or I think you cleared up a mystery for me. Was it the cartoonist Bob Thaves who first said? Yes, it was he who said that. The, the, said that you did everything that Fred did except backwards and in high heels. Yeah. I thought you said that first, and then he and then he no, stole no, it. No, no, I wrote him after I saw this. On, it was a cartoon called uh, Frank and Ernest and Bob Thaves. I wrote him and said, I'd love to have the original of this, may I, Mr. Thaves. He wrote back and he said, the original, I'll send it to you free for nothing. He said, I'd said I'd pay for it. He said, I'll give it to you. I was so excited with that. And so I framed it, and uh, I have it hanging in my house. So I used it in my book, too, because everyone thinks they've said it. They originated it. Everyone. It is true, isn't it? Well, almost. Not quite, but almost. But let me tell you another question that my daughters had when they were watching. They're just fascinated. They're enthralled. They're watching these intricate dance numbers, the waltz uh, that we're watching last night. And they're saying, how many times did she have to do that to get it right? Well, we did in the neighborhood of 30-something times. And by that time, your blisters are having blisters. Is there one question that you are asked everywhere you go by everyone you meet that you wish you could answer just one more time, you'd never have to deal with it again? How is it to dance with Fred Astaire? Number one. People still ask that after all the yes, time? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> How do you deal very graciously? You devote your entire, uh, the, the last few pages of the book to, to, to dealing with fans, dealing with the adoring public. How do you deal gracefully with them when you would just as soon rather enjoy your meal or enjoy your shopping or just be left alone True. to, to uh -huh. sit in the sun for a while. That's right. But you you know you have to you have to love your way through situations with people. And they mean well but they just don't if they knew better they'd do better. But they just some of them just don't know how. So you just have to understand that they're doing the best they know. They may be stupid a little bit, but you have to forgive them for that. But love is the thing that really solves it all. To just lovingly love them and forgive them for their sense of stupidity. 
Your religion has sustained you through so much in your life. Oh, it certainly has. It certainly has. The, it's the most important thing in my experience. I owe everything to my religion. I'm a Christian scientist. I had the joy of being in the Mother Church on Sunday, and I haven't been there for five or six years, and I was so thrilled at being there. Many people outside Hollywood seem to think that religion is a stranger to the entertainment industry. Well, because they don't understand the first thing. I can understand why my mother, bless her heart, she worked so hard to find a religion that, that she could un give her a bit higher understanding of God. She wanted to know more about God than anything else. And so when her husband's mother put a copy of Science and Health in her hands, my grandmother saw it on the night table and shook it and threw it in the, in the, in the furnace. And my mother was only making $8 a week as a secretary, so she couldn't replace it. Someone had to give her another one. So it wasn't all easy for that dear little mother of mine. But it saw her through, didn't it? Oh, it sure did. Saw her through, saw me through, and still does. Ginger Rogers died in 1995 at the age of 84, but had she lived, she would have been marking her 110th birthday today, July 16th. And you can find easy Amazon links to Ginger Rogers' book at our website, HeardEverything.com. Oh, and while you're at HeardEverything.com, listen to my interview with Mickey Rooney. See, that's the trouble with people today. They can't, and youngsters particularly, that get into trouble, get into gangs. It's hard for them to accept their own individuality if they only knew how important they were. And with another Hollywood legend, Charlton Heston. When I say... You finally did it, didn't you? You finally blew the whole thing up. Taylor is not swearing here. He's literally calling on God to damn the people who did this. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, as the nation marks the anniversary once again of the first Apollo moon landing in 1969, you'll hear my conversation with one of those Apollo 11 astronauts, whose vision is set on a much bigger target, Mars. My 1990 interview with astronaut Michael Collins. What Kennedy said uh, in 1961 was crystal clear. He said to land a man on the moon and return him safely to Earth by the end of the decade. Now, whether that was good or bad, it was certainly clear. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.